I'm going to move a little bit over to my left, so maybe you can see some of you. I probably just blocked your view, so I apologize. But uh, this is our mission statement. Um, We usually have that outside, as you can kind of see it when you come in, or we have it somewhere in the room. And we put it on the stage today with a little light on there so that you can see that. This is basically, if you're wondering, hey, where's where's the sermon notes? Well, here they are, right here, okay? And uh, then we're going to talk about how... Because we are a congregation, um, and some of the things that are going to change in our church in the next, uh, within the next year, how it relates being a, our own congregation to these different parts of our mission statement. So we're going to be looking at a couple of passages of scripture today. Um, so I want you to open up your Bible. Starting off, we're going to be in 1 Samuel uh, chapter 8, so that's where we're going to begin. But before we get there, let me just kind of preface uh, that with... Uh, an idea of where we're going today. It is so important um, that as we, as we grow as a church, um, and, and we are about five and a half-ish years old. We'll be celebrating five years going public uh, this coming August. And so this coming August, it'll be five years since we started meeting publicly. I don't know about, some of you, some of you have been with us since like day one or week one or two, at least since we've been public. Um, Some of you met with us as early as the days that we were meeting in our home um, and just praying about um, the church that God was calling us to to start and to plant. It's been about five years, it's been about six years since we started in our home and a lot has happened since then, but we are still technically a mission church. Uh, that means that, that, we have a, that we have a legal status as a non-profit organization, as, as a church. Uh, and so when you give to Grace Fellowship Church, uh, you can write off your giving, right? We, we usually mail out, we'll mail out statements uh, at the beginning of the year for your previous year's giving. And you can write those things off as taxable donations to a non-profit. And so we are legally recognized by the state. However, um, our, our incorporation... Uh, papers, all these technical things that have to do with our relationship to the state, uh, we are still operating under our sending church. That is Mountain Ridge Church in Glendale, Arizona. We have another sending church from Oklahoma that sent us here and they have been supporting us financially uh, ever since then. And so um, right now we are at about, I think we shared this a couple weeks ago, we are at about 60%. So the idea is as a, as a church, a new church gets planted, it starts as it grows, then it's supported by partnering churches that, that come around and say, we believe that the Lord is sending you to go and plant this church, so we, wanna, we want to support you financially. And then over time as the church, as that local congregation grows and, and people start to come and support the mission and to work together, then what happens is basically we work them out of a job. We work those supporting churches out of a job to where we become self-sustainable. We give to one another, to the work of the church. And then those partners that are churches who are contributing financially, they begin to wean off of supporting us and then they go to help other churches that are new. So we're in year five, okay? And so we're getting to that place where we're, we're getting ready to 
become our own independent body, our own congregation, to where you and I start making decisions for this local body in ways that you never did before. Because another congregation was making a lot of those decisions. And so we'll have our own uh, constitution, that is some wording that relates to the state, that tells the state this is who we are as a church. Here are some things that govern us. So that when the world, when people in the world, and we see this all the time, there are are, uh, pastors, especially through the COVID crisis of 2020, there are churches that are being shut down. There are churches that uh, have issues with the government. And so we have to speak as a congregation, we have to speak to those governmental questions uh, and those legal questions. So we're going to start doing that, okay? And uh, we're going to start making decisions as a congregation distinct from other congregations. Right now, our decisions that we make involve our partner churches. In the future, down the road, they won't. So when we decide to uh, make purchases or to cast vision or to talk about missions and things like that, we will do that only as a group together. And you'll be involved in that. I hope you're excited about it. I am, very much so. And it's been Uh, Such a blessing to see how God has added to our number and is making a distinct church here in Maricopa. There's an old story about a a man named William Carey. William Carey uh, was living in Great Britain. He was a British uh, minister and he wanted, he had a desire to be a missionary, to take the gospel to the ends of the earth. But he couldn't do it on his own. And so he went to his local association of other Baptistic churches there in England and he told them, this is what God has placed upon my heart. I want to go and I need your help. And, and one, of, one of his friends, a great theologian during that time, a guy by the name of Andrew Fuller, said, William, if, if you go down into the well, we'll hold the rope for you. We'll hold the rope. And the idea is that churches don't get started and missionaries don't get sent unless they have help. And we have had a whole host of help. Amazing churches who have come alongside of us and said, we want to help you go to Maricopa, plant a church. We will hold the rope for you. But over time, we become our own self-supporting congregation. We begin to hold our own rope. And so that's what we're looking forward to. Number one, what kind of congregation does God want us to be? This has to do with the first point of our mission statement, which is leaning into the lives of other people. God wants us to be a missional congregation. We are congregationally missional. That means all of us. God's desire is for all of us to live on Mission. It is not a top-down strategy. Can I just tell you, I'll just share with you a, a personal aha moment for me this past week. It was very clarifying. I've been in ministry for 20 plus years. And I was able to go to the uh, Southern Baptist Convention. It happens once a year. It's in some major city in the U.S. 2017, it was in Phoenix. The second week of June in Phoenix. Can you imagine? Everybody was like, oh my gosh, it's so hot here. 
But it happens once a year and it's, a, it's, the, it's the largest parliamentary body on the face of the planet. It's a representative type of system. And so Baptist churches all around the world meet together and they have a big meeting and they vote on things. So it's not like there's a CEO or a college of cardinals or anything like that that's over the convention of churches. It's churches who show up, they send messengers. So the messengers from this body were myself and Tommy Thomas. And we would go and we would speak to issues and we would vote on things and stuff like that. There were seven, over 17,000 people at this meeting. Sometimes there are less, sometimes there are more. But one of the things that clicked for me was there's a, there's, a, there's a disconnect between the denominational leaders at the, I want to say the highest levels because there really are no high levels. But there are those who've been entrusted with responsibilities in the denomination to do certain things, to serve. But over time what happens is those servants start to see themselves as leaders. They start calling themselves leaders, like we're the leaders of this denomination or whatever, but that's not the way the convention works. It's a bottom-up thing. It's you, you guys, because we believe in the priesthood of all believers. That no, there's no mediator between, the only mediator between God and man is Jesus Christ himself. But what I noticed at this meeting was there were some in leadership who thought that it, it was a top-down approach. And so one of the, 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 big, the big guys got up and started casting a vision said the Lord spoke to him and he wanted to cast a vision for the next five years. And I thought, that's not how this works. That's not even how, that's not how congregational churches work. Congregational churches work like this. You guys, all of us, the body of Christ in a local place, we pray, we read God's word, we seek his will, and then his Holy Spirit speaks to this body when we do that. God gives the local church vision through you. He doesn't do it through me. Years ago, there was a church that put together a committee and they were looking for a new pastor. And they met with me and they asked me this question. They said, we want to think, we want to consider you as uh, a candidate to be our pastor. We want you to tell us what would your vision for our church be? I was like, I have no idea. <laughs> I don't even know you people. I don't know this mission field. I don't know any, I don't know what God's doing here yet. You don't need, listen, you don't need leaders to give you God's vision for his church. We all seek that together. Why? Because all of us, if we're members of the body of Christ, we have a relationship with God through Jesus. And his Holy Spirit speaks to us as we get into his word together. So folks, if I ever stand here and tell you that I had a vision from God and that God spoke to me in a way that he hasn't spoken to any of you and I say, this is God's vision for our church. He wants us to do X, Y, and Z. And if you, if you don't back that up, then you're just ungodly. Fire me or whatever. That's not the way it works. We must be congregationally missional. We all have to own but, but here's the thing, in our flesh, this is what we're going to see in 1 Samuel, in our flesh, we don't want that. We don't want to own that. We want someone to tell us 
what to do and we want them to be responsible for everything that goes right or wrong. And some people in leadership, they want that responsibility. It's very narcissistic. They want that responsibility. They want everything to rise or fall upon their shoulders. But that's not the way of the, of the early church. So, in 1 Samuel chapter 8, in 1 Samuel 8, listen to what happens in the life of Israel. You'll, you'll, you'll remember this if you were with us when we went through uh, 1 Samuel. Verse 10, Samuel spoke all the words of the Lord to the people who had asked him for a king. And he said, now, up to this point, Israel had never had a king. God spoke to them in the wilderness. They followed him. He gave them his law. He appointed leaders. But they had no king. They wanted to be like the other nations. They wanted to have a king. They wanted to have a point man. And he said, verse 11 says, This will be the procedure of the king who will reign over you. He will take your sons, place them for himself in his chariots and among his horsemen, and they will run before his chariots. He will appoint for himself commanders of thousands and of fifties and some to do his plowing and to reap his harvest and to make his weapons of war and equipment for his chariots. Now we stop right there. Men, let me just ask you this question of the men. I'm just saying this because I'm a man and I know. This sounds pretty enticing, doesn't it? Man, I'd love to have my own army, my own chariots, people to work in my field. That'd be great. Why? Because in our core, in our heart of hearts, what do we want? We want our own kingdoms. We want to expand our territory. We want to make a name for ourselves. Verse 13, he will also take your daughters for perfumers and cooks and bakers. He will take the best of your fields and of your vineyards, of your olive groves, and give them to his servants. He will take a tenth of your seed and of your vineyards and give to his officers and to his servants. You will also take your male servants, your female servants, the best of your young men and your donkeys, and use them for his work. He will take a tenth of your flocks, and you yourselves will become his servants. Then you will cry out in that day because of your king, whom you have chosen for yourselves. But the Lord will not answer you in that day. Nevertheless, verse 19 says, the people refused to listen to the voice of Samuel, and they said, no. But there shall be a king over us, that we may also be like all the nations, that our king may judge us and go out before us and fight our battles. They were warned. We want a king. We want a leader. We want someone who, will, who we can point to and say, this is all on you. Oh, man. And people do that to leaders, don't they? Israel sure did that to their kings. And blame their kings for everything that went wrong. We blame our leaders in government for everything that goes wrong. It doesn't matter who's in office. It doesn't matter if Republicans are in office or Democrats are in office or who's in office. We lay the blame squarely at their feet. They're, they are to blame for everything, aren't they? That's what happens with a top-down model, with a top-down type of organization. The church is not that type of organization. We've all been given the privilege the responsibility to share Christ to lean in to the lives of others so when you see our mission statement don't think that these are bullet points that only refer to the leaders in the church the people in position this is this is all of our identity 
It has to be adopted congregationally by everyone. And so when we say that the first part of our mission statement is to lean into the lives of other people, the question for us, how do we measure that as a church? It's not, well, what kind of programs does the pastor lead or does this team or group or committee or whatever lead for our church to do this? That's not the question to be asking. The question is, how is every member of the body of Christ leaning into the lives of the people around them? So it's not a program. It's a life posture. And so the question for each of us this morning when it comes to leaning into the lives of other people, how are you owning that for your church? For our church to be missional, to be leaning into the lives of others, you have to be leaning into the lives of other people. And I personally have to be leaning in the lives of other people I can tell you from experience that as a church member or as a pastor it's the same many times the temptation is for pastors to talk about these things to talk about discipleship to talk about evangelism sharing Christ with others and building up others in the faith as a program can I just tell you in my ministry I've led many programs I don't want to lead any more programs. Doesn't mean I don't want to lead. I discovered years ago that God did not call me to run programs. He called me to disciple people. He called me to preach the word of God, to proclaim the word and to disciple people. To invite other people to follow Jesus along with me. But if I'm not following Jesus myself... I have no business running a program that teaches people or tells people how to follow Jesus. It doesn't make any sense. And so, we are congregationally missional. I want to read something. Actually, you know what? I was, I'm not going to. I'm going to move on. We are also congregationally devoted. That second part of our mission statement says, looking up to God in worship and devotion looking up to him so when we lean into the lives of other people we're looking horizontally we're who, who where has God placed me I love I love Henry Blackaby's book experiencing God have you ever read that experiencing God raise your hand if you've read experiencing God yeah a few of you if you haven't read it you need to read it there's also a workbook you can go through so good but he says this Henry Blackaby says this when it comes to making disciples and doing ministry and reaching people for Jesus, it's more about, it's, it's less about trying to figure out what you can do for God and it's more about looking around you, going into a place and looking and, and praying about and seeking God's wisdom. Where is God already working here? What's he already doing here? I met a guy named Jason Griffin in my planter, church planter assessment retreat five, six years ago. And he said something I'll never forget. He, there were several new church planters who were ready to move in to whatever city they were going in and, and tell everybody about Christ and plant a new church. And we had all these ideas and we were, we were broken over the amount of people who'd never heard the gospel. And man, we were ready. And he said this to us, took the wind out of us. He said, you know what? You're, he said, your city, wherever you're going, they don't need you. 
mean they don't need us. That's why we're here, because they, they need us, because we're Christians. We're going to tell them about Jesus. He said, they don't need you. You don't need all your little ideas about how to grow a church and how to do this and that. They don't need you. They need the Jesus in you. That's the difference. The Jesus in you. And so when we, when we look around, where has God placed us? He's placed us in Maricopa. We should be looking around and saying, where is God already working? What opportunities is God going to give our church because you're here? See how that's different? So many people are looking for a church home and they're going, where can I go where those people or that pastor or that ministry are doing some great things? I want to be part of what that church is doing. But what churches should be doing, instead of setting program schedules and saying, this is what we're doing, we ought to be looking at one another, nose to nose and face to face and saying, where do you work? Where do you live? Tell me about your family. How can we minister to the people under your umbrella? The people in your network, your husband, your wife, who don't know the Lord. How can we connect with the people in your workplace? What are the needs? Who are the people around you every day, every week who are vulnerable and need Christ? Looking around, that's leaning in. But then there's looking up to God in devotion. We need to be vertical, constantly looking up to God for Direction, we have to be congregationally devoted. That is, in the same way, not just missionally, but devoted to God congregationally. That is that we don't just look to certain people in the church, teachers, elders, preachers, adults, men only. No, men Women, children, single, married. We're all, we're all responsible to be in God's word. We're all responsible and capable to hear from the Holy Spirit what God is saying to us as we open up his word. We must be congregationally devoted, looking up to God. In Deuteronomy chapter 30, You'll turn a few pages over in your Bible from 1 Samuel. In Deuteronomy 30, this is before 1 Samuel, chronologically too, and so you get a sense of, of God anticipating, obviously he knows everything that's going to happen, past, present, future, but he's anticipating the direction that Israel is going to go. And so he issues this warning through his servant Moses. Talking about the commandment. He says in Deuteronomy 30, This commandment which I command you to obey is not too difficult for you, nor is it out of reach. He explains, It is not in heaven that you should say, Who will go up to heaven for us to get it for us and make us hear it, that we may observe it. Nor is it beyond the sea that you should say, who will cross the sea for us to get it for us and make us hear it that we may observe it. But the word is very near you in your mouth and in your heart that you may observe it. When it comes to devotion, when it comes to spiritual maturity, 
There are two problems in the church most of the time. There are average, everyday people, believers in the church, who feel that someone else, someone greater, someone more experienced, someone better versed in Scripture, someone with some kind of theology degree, has to access God's will somehow. That's problem number one. Problem number two is there are arrogant, narcissistic leaders in churches who will also say, you don't have access to this, but I do. That's problematic. Because Israel in the Old Testament is constantly going to shirk that responsibility off as a people, and they're going to say, give us a leader. Give us a leader. Give us a leader. They'll go up to the mountain. Let them go talk to God. Let them do all this stuff. And then they'll tell us what to do. That's what we want in our flesh. We want to, some of us want to relieve ourselves of that responsibility and others are very quick to take it up. Paul recognizes this when he writes to Timothy in 1 Timothy 3. He talks about being an overseer in the church is a fine work. It's a fine work. What does he mean by that? Well, he also says, the Bible also says, not let, many, let, let not many of you be teachers. Why? Because it's a higher responsibility. It's a great responsibility. It's not something to be grasped, but it's a weight. It's a responsibility. But it's not some idea that leadership takes on all these things that other people do not take on when it comes to being devoted to God. Time and prayer. I believe that elders in the church should, should set an example of a prayer life. Yes. But we should all be in prayer on our knees. Amen? We should all be in God's word. We should all be seeking God's will. We should all be learning. We should all be growing. We should all be spending time with the Lord. Notice the language in Acts chapter 2 of the early church. In Acts chapter 2, verse 42 through 47, what a beautiful picture of the life of the early church. After there were thousands of people who came to faith in Christ and then they were baptized. Verse 42 says in Acts chapter 2, they were, listen, continually devoting themselves. Do you see that? Not the elders alone. These new believers. They weren't even mature believers. Do you know when discipleship starts? When following Jesus as Lord and Master starts? The moment you believe. The moment you believe. The Bible says they were devoting themselves. I hear people say all the time, well, I'm no theologian, but, or, you know, I'm, I don't know a lot about the Bible, or, you know. And sometimes that's, that's kind of an excuse of not living a life of devotion to God. Well, I'm not a pastor. I'm not on staff at some church. I, I've only been a Christian X amount of years, so I'm no expert. You don't have to be an expert, but you have to follow Jesus. <laughs> we have to follow him as Lord. We have to be in his word. And it's not easy. It's a discipline. It's a discipline to pray. But Paul also says, hey, listen, Christians ought to be the most disciplined people in the world. 
We've been saved by the blood of Christ. A man who knew no sin went to the cross and died in your place and in my place. We should be better skilled, he says, than the Olympians who go out and they, and they discipline themselves to receive a, a, a laurel wreath. And today we give away gold medals, right? That's not going to lose its value. But back then, guess what you were given? If you were Usain Bolt and you ran as fast as that guy does and you beat everybody on the face of the planet in a foot race, you know what they give you? A little wreath of greenery. That's dead in a matter of days. If it were here, it'd be a matter of hours, right? Paul says, why, why, why in the world would we not think that we need to be devoted to Christ and running, and running in such a way to win? Look at what we get when we cross the finish line. Eternal life with our Savior and Lord. We should all be motivated by that. We should all be devoted to Christ. Whatever discipline is involved, let's do it. He says they were devoting themselves, verse 42, to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, to prayer. Everyone kept feeling a sense of awe and many wonders and signs were taking place through the apostles. And all those who had believed were together. They had all things in common. They began selling their property and possessions, were sharing them with all as anyone might have need. And day by day, continuing with one mind in the temple, breaking bread from house to house, they were taking their meals together with gladness and sincerity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord was adding to their number day by day those who were being saved. What a beautiful picture of the early church. They were not organizationally devoted. Nope. It wasn't like, well... at the, at the Acts 2.42 church, we have a bullet point in our mission statement that's filed away in a drawer somewhere and it says that the church as an organization is devoted to God. Well, that sounds good and looks good, doesn't it? No, that, that wasn't this early church. The early church was every single person. Every single person was devoting themselves to these things, the life of the early church. Prayer, breaking bread together, preaching of the word, continuing with one mind in worship. We must be congregationally devoted. So when we talk about looking up to God in worship and devotion, looking up to God for direction, seeking his will, that's every single one of us. Have you been doing that? Have you been seeking God's direction for our church? I want you to do that. We need you to do that. I'm doing that. But I can't be the only, and I shouldn't be the only one doing that. I invite you to seek the Lord's will for our church as we spend time in his word. We must be congregationally devoted. And then finally, congregationally distinct. This last part of our mission statement, living out our faith. Living it out in the world. I don't have to tell you, you've seen the news, you've read the articles, you're aware, you've seen it in the real world, how antagonistic our culture is becoming to Christians. And, and not only to Christians, um, to theists, that is, 
Muslims too, who believe that there is one God, they're monotheistic. To anyone who's theistic, um, Christians, particularly in some areas for some reasons, that our culture is becoming increasingly more antagonistic toward Christians. You see that, right? But Jesus sends us out as salt and light. That is, we're difference makers. Now, I don't know about you, but there are times in my Christian life, I just want to pack up the kids and move to some place where there are no other people. <laughs> I remember early in our ministry, Emily and I, she, she grew up in Chile. Beautiful country. She's lived in some beautiful places. And it probably wouldn't take too much convincing if I said, let's, let's move to the mountains somewhere and insulate ourselves. And I remember one time thinking, God, would you, would you send us to the heart mission field of Continental Divide, Colorado? That'd be really tough there. And immediately the Holy Spirit said, there are no people there. Why in the world would I send you to where there are no people? This was years ago. But that's many times what we want. We just want stress to go away. We want to insulate ourselves. Or we want as Christians to have someone else to do it for us. And I'm so glad that there are apologists out there, public apologists who go on TV and they get to be the ones who talk to Larry King because, man, I, I would not want to do that. Or they get, to one, they get to be the ones to debate Christopher Hitchens or, or, or Richard Dawkins or these atheists. Man, I'm so, glad. I'm, I'm so glad somebody else who's smart enough to do that and who works hard at I'm glad that's not me. Man, let them do that. I just want to mind my own business. Yes, there are people that God gifts for those ministries, but God wants every one of us, every one of us, to live out our faith. Not to just possess our faith, but to live out our faith, to engage in tough conversations with our friends and family. Doesn't have to get political. But it can be spiritual. We have to be congregationally distinct. We have to live out our faith and we have to see the difference between our life in Christ and our life before. One final passage, Ephesians chapter 4, starting in verse 17. Ephesians 4, 17. Paul says, I say therefore and affirm together with the Lord that you walk no longer as the Gentiles also walk in the futility of their mind. Being darkened in their understanding, excluded from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the hardness of their heart. And they, having become callous, have given themselves over to sensuality for the practice of every kind of impurity with greediness. Verse 20. But you did not learn Christ in this way. If indeed you have heard him and have been taught in him, just as truth is in Jesus, 
That in reference to your former manner of life, you lay aside the old self, which is being corrupted in accordance with the lusts of deceit. And that you being, and that you be renewed in the spirit of your mind. And put on the new self, which in the likeness of God has been created in righteousness and holiness of the truth. Therefore, laying aside all falsehood, speak truth, each one of you, with his neighbor. For we are members of one another. Be angry and yet do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. And do not give the devil an opportunity. Let him who steals, steal no longer. But rather, let him labor, performing with his own hands what is good, in order that he may have something to share with him who has need. Let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth, but only such a word as is good for edification, according to the need of the moment, that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice and be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving each other, just as God in Christ also has forgiven you. Distinct. Be distinct. Be different. It's not second nature. Devotion, being devoted to being sanctified, submitting ourselves to the Holy Spirit. But this is a congregational behavior. It's a congregational act. It's not just a matter of a few people in the church here and there, those super mature, super spiritual, you know, people in the church. No, it's all of us, it's everyone. Congregationally missional, congregationally distinct, congregationally devoted as we lean in, as we look up, as we live out our faith. I invite you to think about these things as we become a distinct church, an independent church, a body of Christ on our own as we live together. Think about these things our mission statement, and being a part of this congregation and what it means to be part of the body of Christ here. Through Christ, the Bible says, we can do all things. And I believe that is Christ being the center of our life as a church and all that we do, that he is going to grow us spiritually that he's going to grow us numerically as we look for opportunities to serve as we look at places where he's working I know he's going to he's going to provide those places he already has as we begin to get ready to pray I just want to share one of those opportunities we mentioned Tommy earlier he's preaching up in California kind of on the border California and Arizona one of the hottest places in the world right now <laughs> here's an example of how this of how this works and I, and I just want to speak highly of Tommy just for a moment Tommy if you don't know him is always 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 looking for places where God is working always 
If you get into a conversation with him, his eyes are not just going to gloss over and ignore some of the things you're going to say. He's going to hear what you're saying and he's going to ask little probing questions. Well, tell me more about that. He's trying to find out where God's working. And not long ago, he came and asked us to pray about a mission opportunity, a missions opportunity in Winkleman, Arizona. He asked this church to pray. He didn't think, well, God's put something on my heart, but there are no resources and we don't really know. No, he shared it with the body of Christ and he said, here's an opportunity. I think God is in this. He's put a burden on my heart. Can we pray about this? We prayed about it as a church. And as we prayed about it, it seemed that God was doing something and he was working in a way that we could come alongside what God was doing and we could be a part of it. And we did. And now there is a new church plant in Winkleman, Arizona, a Hispanic church plant in a Hispanic community that's getting ready to put a church planter and a pastor in there to reach these people for Christ right next door to an elementary school. And you were part of that. And that wasn't some grand vision casting thing from somebody that was a member of the body of Christ saying God has placed this on my heart I think he's working here would you all pray about it and then we'll see I love that I love that about being part of this church but folks we have to continue to seek the Lord's face each one of us and try to hear his voice and invite one another to come along and be part of that And that's the way this church is going to operate. That's the way we are going to operate. Not program driven, not top down, but bottom up, all of us listening to the voice of the Lord and obeying him. Amen? I invite you to be a part of it, to pray more for our church and about how we can come alongside you and minister to one another. Let's pray together. Would you stand with me as we bow? And then we'll be dismissed into the surface of the sun, also known as Arizona. Father God, we thank you, Lord, for your word today. Lord, I'm just encouraged. The people that I see in this room, and I know their stories, and I know, Father, uh, your work in their life. And I know, God, that you have placed them here together with us for a purpose. I thank you, God, for all of our stories, all of our pasts, all of our experiences that culminate in this body. Some histories, some experiences, very difficult. Some things we're even still battling through and with right now. God, I know that there are troubles this morning in this room on people's hearts. But I know that you're willing and able to minister to them through your Holy Spirit, to give comfort, to give peace, to give power, to sustain. So God, I pray that you would do that. And I pray that not a single person in this room would think that they're insignificant or that they're second to someone else. But God, that we would be encouraged by the presence of your spirit in our lives, that we would know that you have placed us here as a member of the body for a specific reason and that we have so much that you desire for us to contribute spiritually, physically, emotionally, in so many ways 
Father, I thank you for the beauty of the body of Christ. And Lord, as we dismiss today and go to our homes, Father, would you speak to our hearts that we would be burdened, that we would know what you want us to do, what our next step would be. Maybe it's to pray for others in this body who may be reluctant to be open, to be more involved in in some way or another. Father, maybe we go home with a burden to just pray more for this body and to take more seriously the responsibilities that you've given us. And to just begin to think of church not as a top-down type of hierarchy, power structure, but Lord, that we would all seek your face. That we wouldn't say, well, who's gonna go for us? Who can we appoint to do this, that, and whatever, but that we would stand in the gap, that we would step up and say, I can do that. I want to serve. I want to fill that gap. Father, that we would see the beauty of the work of your Holy Spirit upon each heart. So Lord, I thank you for each person that's in the room, and I look forward to all that you're going to do in this church to speak to us and show us how we can be a part of it. In Jesus' name, amen.